This is the Off-Grid Girl, Paraskevia Jones, with another episode of Living Life Off the Grid. Episode 5, Off-Grid is Annoying. Well, we did make it through December, and everything was alright, and even through the next year. We still had no power, and we would not be able to afford the 20k to install a solar system. Not until the house sold. So, um, being in the dark when the sun goes down, that's not something that many people in this country experience. Not on a regular basis. Not every day. So, think of a nightly power outage every night. Would you get used to that? Well... I guess it's, it's like every other condition that people adapt to. So we adapted. We used a couple of oil lamps, although they're, they're really smelly and they're not healthy. And um, that's something that we've always said. If it smells bad, it's probably not good for you. And uh, they can't really be burned through the night. So in those days, uh, there weren't many small solar lighting products like there are now. But there were those cheap walkway lights, the the ones on the stakes that you'd tap into the ground. Um, At that time, they were about $3 a piece. Now they're they're about a buck, but they're about $3 a piece. So we bought 12 of those, and my husband constructed a, a wooden holding box with a handle on the top of it so it could be carried and there were 12 holes where the stakes would be inserted and the box would be set out in the sun and it would be carried carried it at dusk and those little lights would be set in every room and that was our son's chore They gave this low glow. It was really nice. It wasn't, you know, blinding light, but it was a low glow that helped us. It helped us make it through the night, you know, and getting to the bathroom without stubbing toes. So when I needed some light in the kitchen at that point, uh, once in a while we would fire up the generator in the wind. This was winter. So short days we would fire up the generator for about 30 minutes or so and we we did adapt to just this darkness and you just do it's i guess it's part of human nature it was kind of funny when uh one day our friend uh called my husband the morning after a big storm and asked is your power out And after a bit of silent thought, my husband replied, "Uh, our power's always out. So I think that living, living without light at nighttime, it has to be the single most life-changing experience of off-grid living, of off-grid life, For, for me anyway. It is inconvenient, annoying, and it prevents you from accomplishing uh, accomplishing anything at all or accomplishing much at night in the night hours. 
Um, but I think that's probably how uh, it benefits the human spirit. Sort of a, the psyche. It's getting back to the cycles of earth, of light and dark, and slowing the body down, and slowing the mind down. And sleep, uh, sleep just naturally happens. It happens earlier. And it gets us back to, well, it got me back to a natural rhythm. And also, I think mentally, uh, gave me the ability, you know, or it, it would give anybody the ability to withstand long periods without the conveniences that, that uh, we have. And, and that might be necessary one day, just to, to have, to mentally be able to, to do without. So on school days, I would charge my phone, my laptop, and uh, the small device, the Wi-Fi device. And I, and I always felt a bit guilty about this. I, I would announce it at a local restaurant when plugging in my phone. I'm stealing your electricity. And, and usually I'd get a puzzled look back and no one really seemed to care or didn't really relate to what I was saying. Um, but I, I guess I was so conscious of, of doing that. So I had to let people know, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Is that okay? Um, I called my early off-grid life W4, Wild West with Wi-Fi. And uh, the Wi-Fi, it did keep us connected with world events and provided some entertainment and connection with others, email, things like that. And, and uh, on weekends, we would enjoy watching a movie on my laptop. Uh, not streaming, but just, you know, we would either rent a, a disc or have, have a movie around that we, we, we had. Um, and there, were, there we were again, all three of us huddled around that bright screen, um, trying to hear the dialogue. And many a time, that battery would go dead right, right at the climax scene. And then you'd hear this loud, ah, from our son. And, and then, you know, I'd say, oh, well, we still have time for a couple hands of rummy. So tried to make the best of, of that and just got used to it. plugged along and pushed forward, hoping that at some point the house in Phoenix would sell. The market at that time, though, was, was not good for sellers. And uh, in January, we, we, re, we relisted the house with another firm. And uh, there'd been some looky-loos, uh, but after a, a few months... Uh, well, it was about the end of February. The agent called and she said that she had an offer. So 
That's really neat when you hear that for the first time, the first one. She said the client was interested in an owner carry, which we had, uh, we said that we would go ahead with that if, if it if it came up, um, which made us like the bank, if you're not familiar. So listen to this offer. Uh, $5,000 down and 5% interest for 30 years. Uh, so I thought this woman must just be starting her career off. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't too harsh on her. I, I said, listen, uh, we'll be dead in 30 years and 5k is only about a third of your commission. And I, I really can't owe money when we sell our house. So please do not bring us another offer like that. So then after that, she, she really got on the ball and um, she sent me a flyer and it had great photos, really great photos of our property showcasing, um, showcasing just like all the coolness of it. And, and here's how I ended up selling our house. I sold our house in a week and here's how. I circled the asking price that was on that flyer and I wrote sold next to it and the letters T-Y-S-M, thank you so much. And I taped that flyer to my mirror and every morning I woke up and there it was and I looked at the sold written there and I said, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that our house is sold. And I kid you not, within a week, the agent called and said that she had a legitimate offer. Uh, It was still an owner carry, but with a sizable down and yearly balloon payments uh, and a five-year carry at 5%. So the only thing that was that the offer was uh, $20,000 less than our asking price. And... I said that there was no negotiating on the asking price if we were carrying carrying the mortgage. And the next day, she called and said the deal was in the works. Um, so we FedEx paperwork back, and um, we went to Phoenix the next weekend to meet the buyer and discuss uh, all the little details and idiosyncrasies of the property uh, that my husband uh, needed to tell him uh, what he referred to as being Funkadina. So uh, it's bittersweet, I think. It's bittersweet when you sell your house that's been in your family forever. You know, it's different when you, you know, you're, you move like I have, you know, that's what I imagine. I've lived in so many houses throughout my life. This is probably my 14th home. You know, I always said I was the gypsy and, uh, but my husband lived in the same house his entire life. So I think it's, it's, that's a strange thing for me to conceptualize and and when we met Matt 
the buyer. And we both smiled because he, he looked like a relative. He looked like he was related to my husband. And uh, we knew right away that he was the only person that should buy our house. Uh, they walked around. Uh, they talked. They tried to get away from the agents because Carl mentioned that uh, there were three septics and the agent put his hands up over his ears and said, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And so it, it was really neat. The right person bought that house. That house uh, was my husband's father. He, he had built it up over decades. First, he had put a single wide on five acres of desert land, which uh, in 1962 was, tr was truly out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was probably $2,000 an acre, you know. And, and Dave was an accountant, but he loved, he loved working on his property every weekend. Uh, every weekend that he had materials and he would he would pour for example he would pour a square of concrete outside the trailer and over time uh, that became as large you know he'd add to it uh, and the squares became as large as the trailer when when he was finished and then um, some beams and wood windows doors that became the kitchen and the living room and it's interesting because those squares were still visible in the kitchen uh, and then when my husband was seven or eight he and his father they built a little bunkhouse behind the house which became my husband's room and it even had a little small bathroom when he was about 12 he helped his father hoist and set beams, which were telephone poles that Dave got at the an auction in Phoenix. And together they built a barn out back. Yep, those, uh, those crooked bunk house and barn walls were a testimony to Dave's building skills. They were pretty rough, but... Uh, you know, there was a lot of sweat and character in those buildings. And there's a lot of love. And uh, he always wanted to work with his hands. And so I think that, you know, he must have been, he must have been really darn proud when his son became a carpenter. And uh, my husband said he, he would boast, boast about that to, to others. And... Uh, well, when, when his dad passed, my husband began renovating that hodgepodge house and uh, that Funkadina house and, and turned it into a real show place. Uh, it always had that eclectic feel, but um, it, it was, it was uh, a really beautiful, beautiful place. It was an oasis in the middle of the desert. And... Uh, so with the house sale going through, we could finally we could finally exhale 
and we'd been holding our breath for a while there. Uh, so we began started starting to make lists, uh, what, what we would do, where we would start work on the box with windows. And, and since January, that the temperatures had really dipped and we, we weren't used to that kind of cold being from Phoenix. Uh, so the, you know, the propane bill was skyrocketing. And, and so first off, uh, we would start by insulating walls and preparing other things for construction to support uh, support the the addition of of something that was really dreamed about since since moving here, and that was solar power. Uh, I couldn't imagine nights with lights. What would that be like? But uh, after all was said and done we ended up living in the dark for um, for almost two and a half years join me next time for another episode of Living Life Off the Grid this is Periscavia Jones I am the Off Grid Girl thanks for listening Off-Grid Girl here with a shout-out to Art and Denise Eggman of Stronghold Auto in Sun Sites, Arizona. The best service for all of our car and truck repairs. Super friendly, dependable, and honest fair pricing. That's hard to find these days. So thank you both for helping us out all these years, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Have a great Sunday.